this toy tiger who in his imagination is real they're lying in bed wide awake at night and Calvin's gone existential he's like why are we here? what am I here for? and his tiger turns to him and goes tiger food? he just stares for the rest of the night staring into the distance terrified what's our purpose in life? why did God make us in the first place? asking ourselves these questions sometimes we're not even aware we're doing it but just kind of we wonder as human beings just generally what what are we doing here do we have any purpose why are we here how did we get here and even as christians you can sometimes wonder well why did god make us in the first place he had angels didn't he well one reason why he didn't make us i uh, i remember seeing a billy graham video some years back it was celebrating his i don't know it's probably celebrating his 90th 80th birthday, 90th birthday, I don't know. He got, gathered all his friends and family at this big ranch where he lives, lived. Uh, bless him. And um, they were sharing stories around a fireplace and they were singing songs. One of them started singing a song about God yeah, back in eternity when it was just God and, and there was, it was just eternal God and nothing else. And, but God was so lonely, so he made man. And I wanted to scream at the TV. He wasn't lonely. Lonely, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the most amazing, eternal, loving community, family ever in existence. They weren't lonely, they had each other. God, God didn't make us because He was lonely. God doesn't need us, it's God. But He chose to imagine us into existence and fashion us for relationship. He, he chooses to pursue us even in our ignorance and our defiance, and he doesn't stop there. Because he chooses to sweep us, not just into his family, but into his plans for restoration and renewal. He sweeps us into more than even just getting saved. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He's the God who wants us. Can we have the um, slide up, please, Ola? He's the God who wants us. Those who aren't family yet, but those who are as well. He chose to create us, because he wanted to, and he chooses to invite us into a relationship and mission with him. There's one story, as you probably guess what the story is now, there's one story in the Bible that helps demonstrate this to us as well. It's the story of Jonah. If you want to start looking for it if you haven't already, he's hidden amongst all the little minor prophets. He only covers a couple of pages, so he's difficult to find. He hides, as he does in the story. He hides in the Bible. Near the, near the end of the Old Testament, it might be easy if you want to go to your index at the beginning to find out where he is. Jonah is a man who hears from God and he's given a message and the task of delivering it somewhere else. God wants others to turn back to him and he wants Jonah, he chooses Jonah to be the instrument of that change. Jonah doesn't exactly get with the program as we will discover over the next three subsequent Sundays as well. And throughout, throughout this story we will discover God's heart for those around us and for our own involvement in his plans as well. He wants us to be in his family, and he wants his family to be involved in his mission as well. That's us. So let me just set the scene before we're going to read the first chapter, all by the final verse. Before we do, just to set the scene, this is set around 760 years before Jesus, about 760 BC. And God's people, the Hebrews, they are living under their king, and they are within renewed borders, refreshed borders, but they still have rival nations. They still have enemies around them. One of those is Assyria. If Israel was here, Assyria is up in the northeast. It's now Iraq, effectively. Northeast 
is where Assyria is, this rival nation. And this is the one that gets mentioned. So let's read the first chapter of Jonah and find out what happens, if you don't know already. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, this is in Assyria, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up, against, uh, come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. But then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. How does he do that? So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quieten down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Get this. He said, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quieten down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. There's three things I'm going to look at in this first chapter today. This first part of Jonah's story, we see a man who hears the call, but he runs from it, not into it. We'll look at his reason. It's spurious at best, and actually we discover later on in the story it's actually quite hateful at its worst. But then we find the rest that comes, which is found in his obedience as well. I want to look at those three things today. Let's look at the running. Where was he running from? Where was he running to? Let me just describe Nineveh for you. This place is God's called him to go and preach to, this news of, rep- of repentance. It's the, it was the great uh, metropolis, if you like, of the Assyrian monarchy. This great nation, this enemy nation. This is their great metropolis. It's now known as Mosul in Iraq. You see it on the news. that has been reduced to rubble in the ISIS conflict. Now they're trying to, in the process of gradually trying to rebuild it. When you see Mosul on the news, it's Nineveh. Same place. It was known even then, nearly 3,000 years ago, as a great city. It was 60 miles in circumference. 120,000 people apparently lived there. It's a huge, great place. It was on important trade routes. It was prosperous. It was great in wealth. It was great in power, great in prestige. 
It had an elaborate canal system. Its walls were 100 feet high. It had an 80-room palace. This place looked wonderful. But its heart was rotten. There are monuments today, museums that you can see, where they've etched into it. They've they kind of proudly bragged about their exploits of what they did to their enemies. They were nasty, nasty people. The way they mutilated people before they died is quite sick. I won't list it. I could do. I like those kind of films. But they, they, what they did was not nice. They did horrible things to people. They beheaded them finally. What they used to do is make pillars out of these heads. They celebrated in it. They reveled in it. There was lots of sorcery going on. There's apparently ritual prostitution as well. This place... Looked wonderful, but its heart was rotten. And yet, God, in his mercy, he specifically asks Jonah to go there and proclaim his message of repentance and salvation. He says, their evil, verse 2, has come up before me. This is what he says. Their evil, I've seen it. Their evil has come up before me. I could trash them. I could destroy them. Just like that. But I'm asking you to go and preach the news of repentance that they might be saved that they might turn back to me. Amazing mercy. So that's where Jonah's been asked to go to. That's where he's running from. Where is he running to? Tarshish. That was across the sea. Some believe it might be. We don't know exactly. It might be Sardinia, Tunisia, halfway across the Mediterranean. Probably more likely it was Spain, in fact, even further. But it's, the point is, it's not that way. It's that way. Complete Opposite directions. Effectively, just to get a gauge of distance, similar distances, Jonah's in London, and God says, I want, to go, I want you to go 600 miles that way to Berlin. Their evil has come up before me. Have you seen the state of their boy bands? <laughs> Europop to the max. Uh, they, need a, they need to repent. So I want, you to go to, <laughs> you like that? I want you to go to Berlin 600 miles away. So what does Jonah do? He goes down to Southampton and grabs a cruise liner to New York. That's effectively what he's done. In this moment, Jonah had a choice. Which Jonah would he be? Would he be the Jonah who runs into God's call? God's made it quite clear what he wants to do and why. Or does he want to be the Jonah who runs away? In the actual opposite direction. What gets me is his reasoning. Verse 3 says it twice here. But, having heard the call, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish in the opposite direction from the presence of the Lord. And he carries on. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away, there it is again, from the presence of the Lord. At what point did Jonah imagine God couldn't see what he's up to in Tarshish? I mean, seriously, it's like trying to play hide-and-seek with God. 9,999, 10,000, coming ready or not. I can't see it. He's got the Tarshish, isn't he? I can't see him. I can't, I'm never going to find him there. He's got the Tarshish. Of all places, I'm never going to find him now. I mean, it's, it's just, do we honestly believe we can escape God's eye? Jonah did. Sometimes we do. Psalm 139, verse 7. Says this. Psalm 139, verse 7. This is David speaking to God. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. 
If I make my bed in Sheol, the underworld, if I make my bed in the underworld, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell on the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. See, we, can, we could dive to the deepest part of the ocean. We could bury ourselves in the ice in the South Pole and God will still see the whites of your eyes and hear the thoughts in your head. We can't flee from the presence of the Lord, can we? This should be a comforting thing, not a scary thing, by the way. And again, in Psalm 53, it says, verse 2, God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand or act wisely, who seek after God. He's looking for people who seek after him. And he's searching everywhere. He looks down from heaven. He sees all our actions. He sees all our choices. He sees all our motives each time as well. This is not God's CCTV out to catch you. This is the heart of a father who wants to gather more broken human beings into his family. And he wants us to be involved. He wants more kids and he wants his kids to have the same heart. Jonah did not have the same heart. Do we? Do we have the same heart? God calls you to speak up, if God calls you to speak out, if God calls you to stand your ground for him, if God calls you to speak into someone's life, will you? Or will you go the other way? It's a big question for all of us, isn't it? So that's the running. But what about the reason? I'm going to snatch a little bit from my sermon in three weeks' time, just to help embellish and help explain this. See, he was running. Running is a good thing. He was running the wrong way. That's the problem. As I said before, Jonah's reason is spurious at best, but it's hateful at worst. You see in verse 1 of chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly when he sees what happens later on, and he was angry. What's going on in his heart? He's angry at the possibility of God saving these people. He was so caught up in his assumptions and his prejudices that he was blinded by them. He was blinded by hate and by selfishness. When Jesus says, love your neighbour, it's become quite a common mantra now, just generally, isn't it? For us, it's a common thing that is, it's easy to understand. It's easier said than done. And that's just loving your neighbour. But what else does Jesus say? It is hard. But if loving your neighbour is hard, what else does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? Love your enemies. That's an even harder pill to swallow. Jonah was so caught up in his prejudices that his first reaction was to run the other way, out of anger. But then? Then? No way! They don't deserve mercy. Have you seen them? I'm going that way. It wasn't fear of rejection. It wasn't fear of man that made him run. It was hate. The trouble is, we too, we can sit here and shake our heads at Jonah, can't we? <laughs> we too can be blinded by assumptions and prejudices. And that's the trouble with prejudices. We don't always see them. We don't always see we've got them. A prejudice is a prejudice. It's a prejudgment. It's something we've made our minds up about someone before we've known them. It's deciding before engaging. It's dehumanising people who are not like us rather than empathising and trying to imagine what it's like to be in their shoes. Which is why when Jesus says, Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies, 
and pray for those who persecute you. It's a massive pill to swallow, isn't it? This isn't just about the jerk who lives up the road and parks inconsiderately, or the neighbour who plays loud music all night, or the colleague who ignores you or makes life awkward. Or These people, they're not enemies, they're just being jerks. They're not enemies. We like to think they are. It's my adversary at work. They're just being idiots. If you can't work out who any of those people are, just check it's not you. Just say. Enemies. Enemies are something else. We're called to love them. They're our neighbours, if you like. But Jesus says, don't stop there. Love your enemies. If we can't love those people who hate us, sometimes happens. If we can't love those people who curse us, if we can't love those people who harass us, and if we can't love those people who use us, then we don't get the gospel. It doesn't mean we excuse their behaviour. And it doesn't mean we allow some people back into our lives if they're going to continue to do damage. Don't mishear me. There are consequences to people's actions and you need to protect yourself sometimes. Doesn't mean loving them and letting them off is two very different things. Okay, So please don't mishear. But we need to love them. Jesus said love them and pray for them. Pray, hope that they will flourish. It's a big ask, isn't it? God is the judge. We're the res- we, we are the recipients of his mercy. The very least we can do is pass it on. But the trouble is, if we can't even love people who wind us up with their parking skills or their annoying habits, <laughs> if we can't even start there, we're probably blind to our inability to love people who cause even greater offence. I've had to check myself. Do I treat everyone the same? Do I know that little check in my heart? Oh, not them. I don't know. We all do it, don't we? We need to be wise to the people we don't realise we treat differently. Maybe it's because of their presentation. Maybe it's because of their accent. Maybe it's because of their class. Maybe it's because of their interests. Maybe it's because of their age. Maybe it's because of their background. Whatever it might be, we're called to love them. At no point did Jesus ever go, I'm not saving them. They're from that social circle. No. Have you seen who they associate with? No, I'm not saving them. At no point did he look at someone and go, not saving her, she's from that bloodline. See what her dad did. What about her people 300 years ago? Didn't touch that, no. He never looked down and said, I'm not saving them, they're prejudiced. (laughs) Of course he didn't. Prejudices are insidious and we need to address them. We probably all have them. Jesus looked down from the cross and he asked God to forgive his own executioners. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What a thing. He pleaded for mercy on his enemies. And the truth is, while he hung there, we were his enemies too. By nature. We're disconnected by sin. We're in conflict with him until that darkness gets dealt with. And that same merciful God asks us now we're his children to reflect him it's the very least we can do because the thing is this isn't just a private effect it doesn't just affect you and it doesn't just affect your relationship with God it affects 
others as well. While Jonah was running from God, he slept soundly below deck, blind. He's completely blind to his prejudices and unbothered by what he's doing. He's fast asleep in the middle of a great storm and actually think the ship's going to break up. It must have been pretty bad. Everyone else running around with vomit bags. He's fast asleep, thinking, I'm all right, Jack. Completely blind to what he's doing. It's affecting everyone else around him. When we resist God's good purposes and his intentions, our rebellion can actually affect others. It's not just about you. Thankfully, rest and restitution did come. Much of that we're going to discover in the coming weeks as well. But right here, rest comes upon this raging sea when? What happens? It's when Jonah was able to admit his responsibility and was willing to put others first. Even that required some persuasion to get there. The sailors had to cast lots. It's, it's, it's a system of, of de- kind of deeming kind of supernatural input, trying to, trying to get a revelation of what, what's to do in a situation or here, who's responsible for this storm. It's sometimes it might have been, we don't know for sure, it might have been coloured or lengthened sticks or flat stones they were using. Effectively, it's the same as flipping a coin or drawing a short straw. It's, it's the same kind of thing, effectively. And they used this, and strangely enough, the finger points at Jonah. Bingo. He doesn't speak up until he has no wriggle room. <laughs> He's backed into a corner and all other possibilities are exhausted. Thankfully, he admits and he confesses. But imagine this. The storm is raging. They're fearful for the ship. They're fearful it might break up. They've thrown everything surplus overboard, all their cargo and that, to make sure it's light enough to stay afloat. They're terrified for their lives. These are professional sailors. They are terrified for their lives. And Jonah says, pick me up and hurl me in the sea. He knows that's a death sentence. He knows he's not going to, they're nowhere near land. He knows he's saying, kill me. It's quite something, isn't it? Sacrifice is is the very heartbeat of both the Christian message, but also the Christian life. See, God himself, Jesus, was willing to sacrifice himself. And as his people, we are also called to lay down our own prejudices and our agendas, put them aside and die to the old and live to the new. A sacrifice, isn't it? Saying goodbye to certain things. It's willing to not live for ourselves anymore. And we will never be at peace when we are running from God or from responsibility. There'll always be a turmoil. You might be able to suppress it for a short while or a long while. It'll always be there. Christian life is never going to be easy. God wants others to be saved. And he wants us to be bothered about it as, as much as he is and join in. We can resist that out of rebellion or just laziness. We can run away to comforts and distractions. That's an easy thing to do, isn't it? But we will never find true rest until we stop fighting our own cause and live for his doesn't mean storms go away when we're journeying in the right direction. Don't read too much into this story. It doesn't mean that life, when life is stormy, you've got it wrong either. Okay? Just got to be clear on this. It can mean you've got it right. 
But that rest is an inner peace. No matter what you're facing, that conflict, you're resolved. I'm running after God's cause, not mine. That's the difference. God uses all means to steer us back to him. Sometimes including the storms. Just the question is, are you listening? He might be speaking to you right now. Sometimes he speaks in a gentle nudge. But sometimes he speaks in a storm because we're not listening. Sometimes he needs to grab our attention. But that doesn't mean that every storm you're going through is because you've done something wrong. There's no Christian karma going on. Don't get that wrong. Just listen out for God's voice and ask what he's doing. But this, God's word, this is a love letter from the God who wants us. He wants us not just as lost souls to be adopted as his own, but also afterwards. He wants us to be part of his mission on this planet. He wants us all to seek him and to turn to him. Even What I love is the fact that even through the events here, despite Jonah's attempts to derail God's plans, even the sailors who earlier were crying out to their own gods, they turned to the Lord. I love that. I'll just, it's a little detail. It's just thrown in there. I, I love it. Not all people will do that. But God will give people every appropriate opportunity to reject or embrace him. And if that's someone, if you're, you're someone here who's never done that before, to embrace him, then please just don't close your eyes and ears to the possibility that he's calling you. Don't shut your ears down. Don't walk away without doing something with that. But the wonderful thing is, he always wants those who do embrace him to get involved further. He's got a job for us. How could we not? Fortunately, not all the church does. Just locally, nationally, internationally, not all the church are on mission. It's a very sad statistic. The very least we can do here at Beacon is all be on board. Jonah was given a message and he was given the task of delivering it and we have too. And in the next three weeks we're going to hear more about Jonah's response and what God does. But today's take home, let me just ask these questions. If you don't know him, are you running away from him? Are you aware you're resisting? Are you aware you're trying to close your ears, shut your heart down to a whisper of something. Or maybe there's a storm going on and God's trying to get your attention. And you're going, no, 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 it's just one of those things. Can you hear him either way getting your attention? Don't resist. Open your ears, listen, speak to others, speak to him. But don't run away from him because you can't run away from his eyes. You can't run away from his careful watch. But if you do know him, are you running from God's call to live for him out loud? Maybe he said something specific to you and you're resisting that and you're putting it off. Maybe you haven't heard a specific call, but you also know we all have a call over our lives is to go and make disciples, is to preach the good news, is to point to Jesus, to live out loud for him. Are you running from that or are you running into it? And that's the thing. If you're not running away, are you ambling in the right direction or are you running 
in the right direction. Let me just pray. Father God, you are so merciful that even when you look down and see a huge population of people who are depraved and enjoying it, your first thought is to save them, not destroy them. Lord, that's effectively what you've done with the human race at large, including myself. Lord, you've looked down and even when I've been lost in the darkness, you've chosen to save me, not destroy me. Lord, thank you for that open invite. Thank you for opening my eyes and my ears to you. Thank you for waking me up to your goodness. To step into the invitation and to take your hand and to rest in your work upon the cross. Thank you, Lord. You are so good. But Lord, help me to see others the way you see them. You want them and you want me to want them. Lord, just... Help me to empathise. Help me to learn to walk in people's, other people's shoes. Help me to, to not be blinded by my prejudices, with the way they speak, the way they dress, whatever it might be, where they come from. Lord, help me to love everyone, everyone the way you do. To see them as just broken human beings who can only fully flourish when they know you and I can be the person who introduces them to you. Lord, whatever it is, Help me, help us to do that. If there's anyone here who doesn't know you, will you continue to speak to them, however loudly that needs to, that needs to be. But Lord, continue to speak to us. Continue to nudge us. Let us know where our blind spots are. Let us know where we've been acting willfully in the wrong direction, perhaps sometimes without even realising it. Lord, wake us up and we're, we're fast asleep and we're causing chaos for everyone else around us. Wake us up to it, Lord. Just show us. We've all got massive oil plates on and we need your help. So, Lord, will you come and have your way amongst us by Holy Spirit. Stir us where you need to stir us. Breathe life out of death. Come and have your way because you're a good, merciful God and you tell us to ask. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's